and welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the co-founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have a prospect interview with catching prospect in the LA Angels organization, Anthony Mulrine. Anthony Mulrine is one of the best defensive catchers in the minor leagues. If you're not sure of who he is or if you haven't seen him play much, I'm telling you, go check out some of the videos on our YouTube of the walkthrough on StreamYard that I did. You can see how insane he is defensively. He guns guys out left and right. The bat continued to get better last year. He made the jump from short season ball all the way up to double A. We had a really good conversation about that. He has some really interesting stories just being in the Angels organization, one with Mike Trout that I think you'll really enjoy. And just an awesome guy, really good baseball mind as a catcher. You can see why he's so successful. I mean, Reed Detmers, as we talked about in the episode, Reed Detmers legitimately only wanted to pitch to him all the time because of how good of a pitch caller he is, how good of a frame or receiver he is, and also how well he is able to gun down runners on the base path. So you will really enjoy this interview real quick before I get into it. And we cut to that interview with Anthony Mulrine. I wanted to talk briefly about the lockout and what that means for just minor league baseball as a whole, because it won't delay minor league baseball. It won't make any big change to what we'll see other than one thing for the prospects who are on 40 man rosters those players will not be able to play in the minor leagues. And on Friday's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about which prospects are impacted by this. The good news is the vast majority of baseball's best prospects will be playing. And that's why I really encourage everybody to keep up with the minor leagues when baseball gets going. Same thing with college baseball as well. And you got to check out our new college baseball podcast called the boys of spring. Really excited for what we have going on over there. Uh, but just real quick to get an idea of which prospects, you know, won't be impacted in our top 10, basically all of them should be fine except for Julio Rodriguez. But when you look at the top 10, basically anybody who has not made their big league debut yet, or did not have to be added to the 40-man roster in order to be protected from the Rule 5 draft, those guys are all going to be fine. The guys that had to be added to be protected from the Rule 5 obviously will not be able to play in the minor leagues, and they're in a bit of a holding pattern, uh, which is really unfortunate for those guys. Usually, though, those types of players don't need the reps as much. There are some unique scenarios, and that's what I'm going to talk about on Friday's episode, but you're still going to get Bobby Wood Jr. You're still going to get Adley Rutschman. Francisco Alvarez, Riley Green, Grayson Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, they'll all be good to go. Unfortunately, Julio Rodriguez, Shane Boz will not be able to play until Major League Baseball figures their crap out. Gabriel Moreno will be good to go, though. Marco Luciano, Anthony Volpe, all of baseball's, almost all of baseball's most exciting prospects should be fine. So that is the encouraging side of things. But it is unfortunate that some of those players will not be able to get uh, important reps or important innings. And I am looking forward, though, to breaking that down for you on Friday's episode. But for this episode, a really fun conversation with Anthony Mulrine. So informative. I think you're really going to enjoy getting into the mind of a very good defensive catcher. So without further delay, here is the interview with Anthony Mulrine. And here is Anthony Mulrine catching prospect in the LA Angels organization. Uh, Anthony, I want to call, I'm not used to calling you Anthony. I'm going to call you Moose from this point forward. So everybody knows I've known you personally for a long time now. For the rest of the podcast, it's going to be Moose when I refer to you, but I I knew it was going to be weird right out of the intro. But Moose, thank you for hopping on. I appreciate the time uh, as you get ready for camp now in Arizona. 
Appreciate it. Glad to be here. I, I just, I, I don't think I've ever called you Anthony in my life. So <laughs> it just, it, in the formal setting, can't get used to it. Fumbled over the words, but Moose, it, it was a really fun season for you in 2021. Uh, we talked back on Locked on MLB Prospects about just the big jump you made, right? You got the opportunity to play a little bit in big league spring training, uh, got your feet wet there, got to talk to guys like Max Stassi uh, and, and veterans out there that just, I'm sure, gave you a lot of insight behind the dish. Um, and, you know, you were able to make it up to double A and have some success there on both behind the dish and of course at the plate. And I mean, what was the year like for you? You got to work with guys consistently like Reed Detmers. You got to face pitchers like Hunter Green, which is saying a lot because before that, with the 2020 layoff, uh, you had not really played against any higher level competition yet because of just the timing of things. Right. Yeah, no, it was my first full season and it was um, a lot of development, a lot of um a lot of long nights, but it, it was a really good season. And, um, I really found out what kind of player I am and, and where I can go in my career and, and how to move my career forward. And it was, it was really beneficial and I really appreciated every part of it. What, what were some of the big, I guess, connections you made there? Because there's a lot of things that come in pro baseball where you can't learn until you experience it. And we talk about big league camp. We talk about playing in the upper minors uh, and all those things that went into it. You mentioned just realizing what kind of player you are and can be. What were some of those big clicking points? Could you pinpoint any any certain things or moments that that things resonated with you? You know, it's a long season, so there wasn't like one moment. It was just a gradual buildup over 162 or I played close to 162 after the fall league. So that, that slow buildup of playing every day and having conversations with our catching coordinator and catching coaches and just a bunch of different guys and, and being able to catch um, some I think it was ended up being like 10 guys who made the show this year um, for the first time. So that was that was pretty cool. And um yeah, you just, you just, every day you're getting better. You're working on your craft and, um, kind of figuring it out. And it's, it's a really cool process. I was look, I was actually looking at video from early in the season today and it was, it, it just two different guys completely from now and, and then and it's, it's really cool to see from at the plate behind the dish, both, um, both everything just, yeah, all aspects. And what's, what's interesting though, I, I would think of one moment that, could make you feel like, holy crap, I'm here would be that hit you got in big league spring training. Right. Who, who was that off of again? Uh, Joachim Soria. Yeah. Like, that's great. We watched, Soria. we, we watched him as like kids. Sure. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, that must've been one of those moments, but I mean, it's just one hit. And, and I know in baseball, you really got to have that, that body of work before you start to really feel things translating um, for you, your, your work behind the dish has always been, you know, I feel like the, the big selling point, right. At catching is the defense is, is the premium, right. And anything you give offensively is a, is a boost. And you were able to put up really good offensive numbers at Samford, uh, which helped you get drafted. And then, you know, really started to put it together offensively, even more so at a big jump again, like talking about never playing full season ball, everybody that I, I'm pretty sure our listeners here are going to get super sick of me saying this, but the jump to double A is massive. It's absolutely massive. And uh, to make that jump from low or was it short season that you were in before? Yeah, short season. Yeah, to go from short season with the Orem Owls to then jump all the way to double A, you know, you're skipping low A, you're skipping high A and going to, to a level that was stacked. 
Uh, I mean, what was that transition like and, and how long was the learning curve for you on each side? I kind of want to hear about both at the plate and then behind the dish, because that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is you got to learn how to handle now more advanced pitchers as a guy who's calling pitches for them. And then as a guy who's trying to hit the pitchers that are coming at them. Right. You know, yeah, the, I, I think the, the hitting thing is, was, it took a little bit longer because I mean, those guys that that jump is humongous. And, you know, a lot of those pitchers that you you mentioned Hunter green, you know, Nick Lodolo, uh, a lot of those guys are, are legit dudes who are going to be in the big leagues or probably some of them already debuted, but um, yeah, no, it's just, it's just, being more consistent with your off the field work and um, translating that into, and like having a purpose with that off field work and translating that into the game and, and maturing in your approach is, was really important and something that um, really benefited me there towards the end. Um, but then behind the plate, um, just, I actually think the higher you get up and catching the, easier it gets. Obviously you have to be, you have to be more precise with what you're doing, but the pitchers are missing by smaller margins. So it's a lot easier to manipulate the baseball or do some, some cooler things behind the plate. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. Um, working with guys like Reed Detmers. And like I said, I think I caught 10 guys who started the season in double a who ended up going to the show. So it was a really fun year. That, that is crazy. And, and Detmers was a guy that you caught pretty consistently. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was interesting to just see his, his rise, uh, and, and some of the games that he had, did you catch that 15 K 16 K outing of his? Yeah. I, I caught every single one of his starts in the minors, except the, he made one start in triple a before he got called up. So I caught them all. Yeah. The fifth he had, well, he had 15 strikeouts or 16 strikeouts and he gave up five runs in that game, which was or six runs. Cause he gave up a couple homers with the guys on. It's crazy. But yeah. So I, is that you calling a lot of the pitches? Uh, you know, cause in the minor leagues, I feel like it's, it's mostly just catcher pitcher working for the most part. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it was, it was me and him game plan. And, um, towards the end of his time in rocket city, we were really on the same page and, and he was, he was just letting me go and he was, he wasn't shaking off much at all. So going into kind of calling those pitches for a guy like that, who, who was able to get the swing and miss, I mean, no pitcher is perfect. He was also a guy that was just jumping up through the minor leagues and uh, trying to find that balance of, this is something I talked about with Kyle Nicholas, uh, pitching prospect with the Marlins is when you have a fastball that's effective up in the zone, you can still sometimes be susceptible to, to giving up the long ball as well. Yeah. How do you right. find that balance of finding the right spots to call that fastball up? Because, you know, for Reed that, that works for him. Um, but also, you know, you have that challenge of if it doesn't hit the right spot, it, it can get knocked out of the yard. Right. Um, we, we actually found that out early because early on in the season, we were only almost exclusively going up in the zone. And then we were realizing, you know, we had to, he could still pound the the top of the zone, but he needed to, you know, change eye levels, change, um, get guys to feel a little uncomfortable, show them that he will throw it to the other side of the plate or throw it a little down. Um, and that's something that we, we worked with in bullpen sessions and whatnot. And we really started those last, you know, three or four starts that he had in double a were just dominant. And I think, I think that was part of it was being able to mix uh, eyesights. 
what kind of goes into your preparation uh, as a catcher? I mean, when you get to the big leagues, you'll have a lot more at your disposal in terms of you know, the data and information. But what we're seeing how much more accessible data continues to be and, and how much more it's getting integrated, even all the way down to the collegiate level. Uh, right. But also there's a level of using that data, leveraging it and, and understanding. Right. And there, there's a lot that goes into that side of things, too. Uh, mm-hmm. What is your preparation process uh, for w- when you get to go see a lineup? Because a lot of it, though, I would say is you know, this isn't like the American League playing the National League. And it's some guys who barely see the crazy thing about the minor league setup is that you see a lot of the same teams for six game stretches sometimes. How much of that is just going off at the top of just knowing what you remember anecdotally sort of versus, you know, the preparation you do going into the game um, days leading up. Right. So um, there's a thing out there called true media. I don't know if you've heard of it. This that's um, so, but sorry to cut you off. <laughs> I just recorded with, with Jeff Conine today outside right. the box with Jeff Conine. I've never heard of true media in my life. And he yeah. mentioned it to me because now he's the associate head coach at, at Florida International University. Right. And now two true media references in one day. <laughs> so weird how that works. But anyway, continue. Right. So it's it's basically literally every single data thing you can imagine on this website, anywhere from the big leagues all the way down to rookie ball. Uh, the Angels make sure that all the catchers in the organization have access to it. So um Again, early on in the season, part of this development, I was going through it and kind of just looking like amazed at all these numbers and not really understanding what these numbers meant, what numbers were important. Um, But then really sat down with some of the coaches and broke down how to, you know, siphon through all that data. Cause there's so much, there's so much numbers out there and you can, you can be looking at things the wrong way or, or looking at the wrong things that don't, um, aren't going to help your cause. So, uh, we really broke down what was important. So I would, before every game go through, it would take me 20, 30 minutes. I would go through the lineup and just write quick notes. And then I would also add some past experiences because there's only, in the double A South, it was, I think six teams. So you're playing the same teams over and over again. So you, you do get a feel for what guys do and, and, and all that. And also you want to take into account who you have on the mound. You're not going to go, you're, you still want to pitch to the the pitcher's strengths at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So on the offensive side, you know, you, you talk about how it's kind of an advantage for you as a catcher to know, a little bit more about these guys. You, you're never going to play in a six-team league uh, really ever again. Uh, how does that work for you on the offensive side? How challenging was that at times, um, you know, knowing that teams kind of just had more familiarity with you? Every hitter has their tendencies and just kind of knowing what what you lean towards. Right. So they, they have the familiarity with us, but then also as a hitter, Goes you know, you, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're more comfortable in the plate because you've seen – you've seen it firsthand what, what it's going to do, whatever the pitch is and, and how all their pitches move. So it, it all balances out, I guess, in the end. What was, uh, out of all the arms you faced, you know, this is, this is a really funny question. I gotta ask you honestly. Um, so one of the big topics in the prospect world, which was really funny was, um, Keith law had come out with his top 100 list. And a lot of people were very surprised at the omission of Nick Lodolo completely from, oh, yeah. from the top 100 lists. You guys saw a bit of Nick Lodolo. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, how nasty is Nick Lodolo? And uh, what are your thoughts on him just in terms of how hard he was to, to prepare for? 
Yeah, I, I never faced him personally, um, but all the guys in the clubhouse said that was easily hands down the best pitcher they faced all season. Like yeah. it wasn't even it wasn't even close. They faced you know Hunter Green, Max Meyer didn't matter. Nicoladola was the best. So uh, I think I think that says something. Yep, yep. That's all I wanted. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, on to the next thing. Uh, so when you're when you're really getting used to you know facing those same arms over and over again uh do you try from the catching side uh and and from the offensive side let's start with the catching side do you try to do things a bit differently how do you balance the playing to your your pitcher's strength versus not being predictable yeah so you don't want to get too cute and um so like if you miss with or if you're facing a guy and you strike him out three times in the game when sliders in the dirt and um that fourth time he comes to the plate and you got him 0-2, you're not going to try to go fastball up because if you go fastball up, chances are he's going to hit yeah. a home run. So you might as well just go back to that slider in the dirt. If he does make a, you know, a really good adjustment and takes a good take, maybe, yeah, then you change your approach. But for the most part, I try to stick with, you know, what what's working and try not to get too, you know, fancy. Selfish question for myself here um, uh, on the scouting and, and prospect analysis side of things. One of the things that you know I, I continue to try to get better at is, is analyzing catchers, um, and and that's something that I think is is a nuanced aspect of it in general. Receiving is always a big thing that is discussed, and, and receiving I know is one of the things you really pride yourself on. Uh, one of the things that you really feel like you can give your pitcher an advantage on and, and why pitchers like Reed Detmers and, and many others really enjoy working with you. Um, you know, what are some cues? Well, first qualities that you look for, like, or, or look to achieve as a catcher to be a good receiver. And what are some cues that people can look for to know that a catcher is a good receiver? Um, it's, I feel like it's, it's very specific, but, I guess so everyone's going to move the ball nowadays they're they're going to there's going to be some kind of manipulation of the baseball from where they catch it to where they present the ball and and end up showing the umpire where the ball is the the thing is that movement can't be two part the more fluid the movement is the cleaner it is the better the catcher probably is so it, i guess it's just and Maybe it takes a trained eye to really see that, but the, in general, the cleaner they are, the the less you maybe notice it, it the better the the catcher probably is. Because like Gary Sanchez, I I mean I'm not a great receiver as noted in the New York media. Um, <laughs> if you watch a game, it's very you know all over the not just the balls getting to the backstop that doesn't matter. It's more of when he does catch it. There's a lot of like the momentum of the pitch is taking him one way and then he like has to then turn it around and get it going in the other direction versus if you're watching uh, Austin Barnes or whatever, you'd barely even notice he's back there because he's, he's already beating the ball to the spot and, and, and bringing it down. And it's, so it's kind of knowing your pitchers too, right. And what their pitches do uh, right. in a way, right. If you got a guy with a little two seam run, knowing that it might come back just a little bit more. And like you said, being in that spot, uh, right. that's really interesting. <laughs> Speaking to Gary Sanchez, um, <laughs> I see your hesitancy to just even like say anything negative about anyone. Cause I know you're a nice guy, but, but the funny thing about Gary is, as you know, just baseball, uh, our TikTok, which my co-founder, Peter, uh, he, he, my partner in this whole thing, he's a diehard Yankees fan. Right. And one of our first 
TikToks that exploded was him just complaining on the podcast about Gary Sanchez's framing. And we just threw in some highlights or lowlights of him whiffing and just taking the ball with it. And it blew up. And that was kind of like the first domino on our TikTok to 98,000 followers now was Gary Sanchez framing. Um, so it, it is popped up on my TikTok, by the way, on my For You page. We did. We uh, popped up on the For You oh, page. A couple different times. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Do you follow us? Um, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to shoot wow. you this interview. Wow. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that later. Um, but no, I, it, it's, uh, that's always good. We, we got a little bit of like a shadow ban for a little bit. No idea why. So we weren't going on anyone's for you page. So we're always, always happy to hear that. But, uh, no, dude, it, it's, it's one of those things that I think is really hard for the average fan to see. And as a result, you have a lot of fans kind of pile into just the analytics on that side. Um, and that's where things get a little bit complicated too, because you get somebody like Salvi Perez who grades out as, as the worst framer ever at this point in his career, but I'm just not willing to accept the idea that like Salvi Perez is a, a net negative catcher because of his ability to call games and stuff. But is that something that just, as you age a little bit, you lose that ability, you think to, to stick it or to mm. receive or, or what kind of happens? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Cause so Kurt Suzuki was with us last year and he's 38 and was a below average receiver his whole career. Um, and halfway through the season was making a bunch of adjustments. And the last two months of the season, he was the best catcher receiving wise in baseball. So I don't think age has anything to do with it. I think it's just, um, the way you're, you, you work on it and the way you're taught it. Um, just like anything you, you can get better. And on the, uh, on, on the other part of catching too, something that you kind of got to do, which I know you, you've told the story a couple of times, but for, for some of the people that may not have heard the, the first episode or the first time we uh, recorded together with unlocked on MLB prospects, you had a pretty cool opportunity to catch Mike Trout's batting practice, live ABs, you were behind the dish. Can you tell that story again? Because I, I absolutely love it. I think it's awesome. And I think people listening will be pretty floored by just the whole dynamic of the story. By the way, before you get into it, Mike Trout finally spoke out uh, yeah. about the lockout. But the funniest part about it was it was via his Facebook page, <laughs> which I just thought was just <laughs> like, just kind of says everything about itself. I love Mike Trout. I love how he just keeps to himself. Uh, but he is as good as it gets in terms of on the field and a great guy off the field. And I think people will kind of see more about that in this story. Right. So it was 2020, my first spring training, it actually got cut short. However, it was my first time being around big leaguers on a daily basis. Um, it wasn't in big league camp, but they would, you know, come down and take uh, live ABs on the backfields or whatever. So one day trout, and uh, Justin Upton are taking live ABs on the backfield. And I happen to just be the guy slotted to catch them. And it's the coolest thing in the world. You know, I'm starstruck the whole time, like just staring up at these two guys who have been playing for forever. And Mike Trout being one of the best in the game or the best in the game. Sorry. Uh, but uh, after I'm putting my catcher's gear away and I was just like, still amazed about how great that was. And um, our field coordinator walks up to me and just hands me a uh, cash. And I'm like, what is this for? He's like, Oh, it's just from Mike. And it was like $500 cash just for doing my job. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And, um, 
just the respect that he has, not only just for everybody, for the fans and even, even the minor leaguers, because it, it is hard down there. It is a grind. And, and when a big leaguer is, is doing that, it, it's, it's a really cool thing. I really appreciated it. Yeah. You know, that, that to me just kind of says it all, especially in a spot right now where we're, we're seeing a lot of these players kind of fight finally for, for minor leaguers fighting for the guys that are cracking finally into the big leagues um, to get paid, have a little bit more financial security. Once you get in there, we're seeing them try to fight for the raise in the, in the minimum salary uh, pre-arbitration, all of those things. Uh, And right now it's, it's, it's tumultuous. Uh, There's a battle uh, between the two sides, but you know, to to get that kind of money, you know, it it makes so much of a difference for a minor leaguer. I mean, hell if I got, I think a lot of people would pay $500 to catch. Exactly. That's what I was saying. And then also like, he didn't like hand it to me himself. Like, Hey, look at me. I'm Mike Trout. And I'm like the cool, nice guy. Like he gave it to someone else. Like he didn't want to like make it a thing. Yeah. He didn't want to make it a thing. He just kind of like subtly did it, which was also really cool. What was the sound like off the bat? Oh, it was incredible. So he, he was kind of struggling. He was like feeling for something. It was pretty early in spring training still. And he kind of like looked over at the hitting coach and the hitting coach gave him like a little like cue. And he's like, okay, let me try that. And he hit like 150 mile per hour ball, like right back at the pitcher and just walked off. He's like, I'm good. And it was, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, so on your side of things offensively, I mean, Mike Trout does things that, you know, just you look at it and it's just impossible to duplicate, but there's a lot of qualities to the swing and movements that I think, you know, people are always looking at and, and appreciating, um, you know, what's your big focus uh, to keep improving your offensive game and, and take things to the next level? I know last year you, you were really good against soft speed, really good against breaking balls, uh, fastballs sometimes were a little bit more difficult to catch up to, but a, a lot of that was because you're facing guys throwing 98, a at the double a level you know what, what's your what was your big focus through the offseason to kind of take that offensive game to the next level well i want to start by saying that everyone appreciates mike trout swing except that one guy on twitter yeah one high school coach. <laughs> yeah it's so funny <laughs> joey weimer brought up the same thing because he's like dude you got people breaking down your swing on twitter that have no idea what they're talking about and now mike trout's even a victim of it yeah exactly um no but this this offseason i've really been focusing on being really precise in my work and and really trying to repeat the swing every single time, which if you can repeat it as, as closely swing to swing, the more success you're going to have on, you know, over, over time. Um, because it's, it ain't, it's, it's really not, uh, not easy to hit 95 on a daily basis. So just being, being, you know, very mature in my approach, very, very mature in my work and, and really being getting specific on what I'm working on trying to achieve each day. Um, and actually, yeah, I I've been hitting with Michael Stefanik. I, I know I, yeah. I uh, sent you him. Yeah. So I've been hitting with him and, and just being around him and seeing how he go approaches things, um, has really helped and having conversations with him. So. Yeah, we we gotta we gotta reach out and, and try and get Michael on the show as well. I mean, he had a nice. great year last year, also. Fantastic, yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of guys that just it kind of took their game to the next level with that time in the layoff. 
You know, I think that was definitely a big part of things. And it, I always call it a great separator where you're able to, you know, try to outwork people when you don't have the team breathing down your neck, trying to get you to do certain things and making you do certain things. And um, now, now you get ready for big league camp or not big league camp, but there's no big league camp, but you get ready for, for camp. Um, and as we get closer and closer to the season, uh, you don't know exactly if you're going to be assigned a double A AA or triple A, uh, but you know, Either way, you're getting closer and closer uh, to, to the ultimate goal here. Uh, if that is waiting for you on the other side, as we were joking about before we recorded, we're like, you know, we're just playing minor league baseball and there's no, there's nowhere at the top. <laughs> but uh, hopefully that'll be that'll be solved sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. How excited are you just to get back going and into the season? I know you had a long year, uh, especially mm-hmm. as a catcher. I mean, by the time you got to the fall league, you were probably gassed. Um, right. I'm sure the time off was was you know, much appreciated and I'm sure you enjoyed it. Um, but you know, what, what are you feeling now going back into the year? You feel rejuvenated, you feel ready to go. And you know, how do you manage the, the wear and tear, uh, and just exhaustion that comes with catching in the middle of the summer all the time <laughs> for a very long period of time? No, I'm, I'm extremely excited. Cause now last year was my first full season. So I really didn't know what to expect, but now I know what to expect and how to, how to prepare, you know, off the field for, for those types of things. And, um, I'm, I'm really excited to show everyone the, the progress I made this off season. And, um, I'm, I'm excited. It's just going to be a really good year, I think. Um, and something I'm really excited to do is for, for a few minutes real quick, we're going to hop on to StreamYard like we do with all of the uh, player interviews. Uh, but this time you're, you're our first catcher. So I, I pulled a bunch of uh, a few of you just throwing guys out. Um, and right. I'm excited to just talk to you about kind of what goes into that and, and just some of the mechanics of what gets you a, a good pop time. Because we, we have a lot of a lot of young kids that make their way over from the TikTok as well that are high school players that are always trying to get a little bit of an edge. Those guys uh, definitely can learn a lot from somebody like you fundamentally behind the dish. Um, and before we get to that, just kind of was that something that was natural for you always um, just the, the, the ability behind the dish or did, did you have uh, somebody that helped mentor you through the years? Something like at Samford. How did you just get to the point where you were a guy that was just better than most behind the dish? I appreciate that. But um, no, I've, I've had my coaches along the way. Uh, Julio Solis, I would go down at eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings down to Hialeah uh, wow. into another, into another country. Um, <laughs> it was highly, it was Kendall it was somewhere down there in Miami. However, but I would go down there Sunday mornings and that really started me off. And then at uh, St. Thomas, I had Scott Masuko who I worked with a bunch and then college it was Casey Dunn and Brad Moss. And then in pro ball, I took all of those like basis catching tools and then I morphed it into this new style that I learned in pro ball from Eddie Rodriguez and uh, Ryan Barbara and it's catching has changed so much over the years, but those things that I learned in my youth have still translate and are still true today. It's just, you're doing it on a knee and you're worried more about receiving as well. So like, it's, it's still the same position. It's just, you're doing it a different way and you still need all of those tools that you learned your whole life. And I feel like the knee thing is a big separator too, because a a lot of guys struggle with that. If, if you are not as consistent when you're on the one knee, 
you're more susceptible to a pass ball, right? If you're not as consistent as sticking it or, or if, if you are not picking it up and switching over, I just feel like there's guys that struggle. This might just be totally off base. There's no way to really go into that on it, but I feel like there's been a lot more pass balls with guys that struggle on the one knee and they have to experiment and go back and forth. It allows you to what receive better and frame a bit more effectively at the bottom of the zone. Is that the purpose for the one knee? Yeah. So I, I caught, yeah, it, it helps you to, to get those balls lower in the zone and be able to get out and extend it. Um, but I actually, I started the season or I started my career just going on a knee, my pro career going on a knee with nobody on. And then this year I went completely with runners on runners, nobody on didn't matter. I, I go for me all the time now. Um, and it's just something that you got to get used to. Um, from what I've heard, the analytics say that stealing a strike is more important than a guy getting from first to second on a pass ball. So, cause it, it changes the at bat changes, the flips account or whatever. So crazy. that is actually absurd. Yeah. Cause the, 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 I mean, I don't know if you've seen the numbers. I have a, a I believe you. It's just where like a one Oh count versus an Oh one count. It's like a thousand slug versus like 400 slug or OP, sorry, a thousand OPS versus like 400 OPS. It's something absurd like that. So that yeah. it, it's, it makes sense, but yeah, they're more worried about receiving the ball well than it is pass balls. Obviously pass balls are still more important. And with automated strike zones and triple a, it's going to be huge. And hopefully automated strike zones stay out of the major leagues for a little bit. <laughs> need to have some time up there. I mean, we've seen, we've seen all of these experimental things just not really last that long in, right. in, in high a with like there were some of the rules in high a that were dumb. Um, mm-hmm. the pitch clock, as I talked about with Kyle Nicholas is eyewash. Uh, they, like, I I'm hoping that they, they don't really roll with the automated strike zone. Cause I've heard, I've heard a lot of mixed things about right. that from the guys that were in low a, uh, that had really experimented with it, or I, I guess would, I would say had been experimented with because it's really the players that are the Guinea pigs there. Right. I don't know if, if, if I'm a believer in the automated strike yeah. zone. I actually texted my brother today and I was like, when I talk to people about the automatic strike zone, I sound like an old person being like, these machines are taking yeah. my jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I think there's a little more to it than just that, but that's how I feel. No, I I'm with you, man. And, and it kind of <laughs> takes away one of the, one of the better nuances of the game. And um, yeah, and it's a, it's a new nuance too. That's really been developed over the last five to 10 years. Yeah. I don't know if we'll, if we'll see that one, make it, make it to baseball. And they, they, they've got a lot more stuff to figure out before right. they even get there. Exactly. Right. Uh, but all right, man, we should head over to StreamYard in a right, couple yeah. of minutes here. I'm, I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on some of the defensive side of things and also get a couple of your home runs. Before we get there, though, I just wanted to talk real quick because we got fans from all different backgrounds. I want to talk real quick about your Arizona Fall League experience. Um, you had like big leaguers on your team because yeah. for whatever reason, the Cardinals thought the Arizona Fall League meant it was for big leaguers. I don't know. Lars Newpar played in the wild card game and then, and then was out there. Uh, he can swing yeah. it. Uh, but then even Jordan Hicks makes sense for him because he was coming back from injury and he was late in the year. Uh, who were some of the guys that stood out to you on your fall league team? And and what was it like, you know, kind of playing with some of those big leaguers too? Yeah. I mean, those, those big leaguers are great. It was really cool, you know, catching 102 with 20 inches of run. Yeah, what was that? Like? How'd you do that? It's, it was unbelievable. It's, it's stupid. Um, is it hard? Like how hard is that? Yeah, it's, it's pretty hard, uh, but I mean, you get used to it kind of, um, I only caught like one or two games from him, but, um, 
yeah, it, it's definitely not easy. Um, and uh, yeah, Lars was unbelievable at the plate. The, they also Cardinals also sent Nolan Gorman, who's really good, uh, could really swing it. Um, we actually had a couple surprise guys, Coleman Crow and Nathan Burns dominated on the mound. Um, the Dodgers had their slew of guys. Uh, what was his name? The outfielder. Um, I forgot his name. He, that's terrible. Do you have a roster up there? Um, <laughs> I, I don't have, you don't have it. You don't have it anymore. That's fine. Um, but whoever the left, left-handed hitting outfielder for the Dodgers was, he was amazing and he's going to kill me. If he ever sees this. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but it was just, it was a really cool experience seeing, seeing guys from other teams and, and picking their brains and seeing what other organizations do and how other organizations develop and what other organizations, um, uh, uh, are looking for uh, in, in their guys. And it, it was just, it was just a really fun experience. Everyone was having a blast and it was a great time. So this guy was on your team. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he just got added to the 40 man too. Um, okay. Miguel Amaya and this kid both got added to the 40 man. Okay. And you played, you played in Glendale. I did. Okay. Uh, wasn't Cody Hosey is the other. <laughs> I, I, I have it in front of me. I can't, I, but I, I'm not, it wasn't Outman. Not, and, and then, oh yeah. Outman. Outman, that's, what, Outman. that's what I was thinking of. James Outman. James yeah, Outman. Unbelievable fall league. He was really good. That's a Sorry, name too that kind of gets buried in that system because right. because of how good it is. James Outman, good name, good yeah. name. Okay, yeah. there we go. We'll we'll pretend that you said James Outman right out of the gate. Right, um, but oh, we also had that's for this little brother there. Yeah, Yoelki, Yoelki from the White Sox, right? I mean, that's that's a name that you know a lot of people are always talking about. Um, but you know, he he's he's kind of a freak athlete too, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cool to just play with all those guys. So much sound out there. It's a cool place to play. Um, and, and I, I have some video queued up from there uh, that we're going to go over on Streamyard from you just throwing guys out. So let's go hop over and do that. Uh, yep. Anthony Mulrine Moose. Thank you so much for the time, my friend, uh, for those who want to check out some of this video, go over and check the link in the description and you can go over to our YouTube at just baseball fans. Uh, that's where we'll be going right now.